today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. eighth chapter of the book of Romans tonight. Paul has given us quite a bit of information here, and it's been a couple of weeks since we've looked at this, so let me back up and get a good running start into what we're going to look at here tonight. The Apostle Paul tells us here in Romans chapter 8 how the Holy Spirit works. Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit works within the framework of the finished work of Christ. And the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary's cross, you are in Christ. And as long as you maintain your faith in that finished work, then the Holy Spirit can work within your heart and life. Now, The Holy Spirit presence is there. The potential is there. That power is there. And uh, His presence alone is not enough. We have to do our part. And our part is to walk after the Spirit. Let the Spirit do the leading. If you'll look there in verse 4, the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So if you want to live a holy life, live a godly life, a life that's pleasing unto God, then you have to keep your faith maintained in the finished work of Christ and follow after the Spirit. Let the Spirit do the leading and guiding. And uh, there are benefits to walking after the Spirit. Paul gives us those. Uh, If you'll look there in verse 10, we see where the Holy Spirit brings life. There is no life outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Life begins when the Spirit of God moves. In the book of Genesis, we see this earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then the Spirit of God moved. And when the Spirit of God moved, there was life. And we see the end result of the moving of the Spirit of God. It's the same way with a person when they get saved. They are dead to God, dead in trespasses and sins, the Bible says. But the moment the Holy Spirit deals with their, their hearts and convicts them of sin, He begins to move within that life. And when they respond to the moving of the Spirit and let the Spirit have His way, then that person's life will change. And it is a life words can't even begin 
to describe the life that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. He also quickens our mortal body. If you'll look there in verse 11, he gives us the power to mortify the deeds of the body. And uh, that's in verse 13. And uh, if we'll follow after the Spirit and utilize that power that he gives us, then we'll live a life that's well-pleasing unto God. We've been adopted into the family, verses 14 and 15. And with that, we have the right to call God our Heavenly Father. We can go to Him in prayer and ask Him for anything. And Jesus said, ask the Father in my name and He will give it to you. And like a father looks after his child, I'm not just going to give my children just anything they ask for, especially if I know they're not ready for it, if they're not big enough and old enough, responsible enough to, to handle it, I'm not going to give it to them. Now, I, I want Julie to drive, but uh, she's not going to drive my truck on the road just yet. Okay, I'll let her drive it around the house. I have learned to trust her a little bit with that, but uh, had she come to me a few years ago, uh-uh, no. She can't even drive the, the go-kart, <laughs> golf cart, anyway. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, if you'll look there in verse 16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit stirs us to pray. He comforts us. He convicts us of sin. And so we have that benefit of the Holy Spirit witnessing with our spirit we have an inheritance if you'll look there in verse 17 as well we're guaranteed uh, being glorified together with Christ now just because we're saved and we're walking after the spirit and we have these benefits that does not mean that it's just going to be a bed of roses we you know we're going downhill with the wind at our back you'll never have another problem a difficulty. Paul warns us there in verses 17 and 18, he talks about suffering. He talks about groaning there in verse 23. He talks about infirmities and lack of understanding of what all is, is going on. So you're going to have problems. You're going to have difficulties. But if we'll stay the course... If we'll keep our faith anchored in the finished work of Christ, then the Holy Spirit will make intercession for us if you'll look there in verse 27. Now, let's take a look at verse 28, Romans 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Now, this is probably one of the most quoted scriptures in all of the Bible. Like a broad brush, it just covers everything. But we need to realize that there are certain conditions that have to be met in order for all things to work out for good. All right, now let's break this verse down. Paul said all things, all things. That pertains to everything uh, that pertains to life and living. Everything that comes against the child of God can work out for our good. Even Satan's efforts to kill, steal, and destroy our faith 
God can take that and use it for good. Every effort of Satan that comes against a child of God, Satan is out to destroy. But God allows it in order to build our faith. So it can work out for our good. Only those who truly love God will things work out for the good. You have to love God. That's the first um, thing that you have to meet. In order for all things to work out good for you, you've got to love God. Who are the called? Now that refers to those who have accepted the call to be saved. Those who aren't saved, God will deal with them. You may find that some bad things will happen to the unsaved, and that's God dealing with them, trying to get them saved. So that's a, a good thing, you know, when you get right down to it. We hate to see people fall flat at their back, but that's the only way God can get some folks' attention. At any rate, those who are called according to His purpose. Now that has to do with the will of God in the person's life. But... Here's where the problem of self-will comes into place. People know what God's will is, but instead they go off and do what they want to do. Now let me give you an example. We all know the story of Jacob. How he deceived his brother Esau. Took the birthright blessing. And he had to get out of town, packed his bags, and went to stay with Uncle Laban for a little while because Esau was threatening to kill him. And while he was there with Uncle Laban, he married Leah and Rachel. Worked 14 years. Then worked another six, seven years for some cattle and whatever the case. And after 20 years of being with Uncle Laban, God spoke to him in a dream one night and said, I'm the God of Bethel. It's time for you to go home. So Jacob packs up all of his stuff, and he heads back home. Hadn't been there in over 20 years. And he's kind of fearful about this thing because he knows he's going to run into his brother. And Esau hadn't forgot about what all Jacob had done to him. But to make a long story short, God intervened in that situation, and Jacob and Esau resolved their differences and whatever the case. And the Bible says that Jacob settled in a place called Succoth and built him a house there and, and dwelt there with all of his cattle and whatever the case. Now, God said, I'm the God of Bethel. It was God's will for Jacob to go to Bethel. But Bethel was a rocky place. It was a stony place. Grass didn't grow there very good. So Jacob thought in his mind, well, right here is Succoth. The, uh, the grass is growing pretty good. Here's a pretty good place. You know, Bethel's just a couple miles away. And I can just go over there whenever I want to. And so he settled down right there in, in, in Succoth. He was just a couple of miles out of the will of God, and it was disastrous. Because the Bible says that his daughter, Dinah, went out to see the daughters of the land, and a young man fell in love with her and raped her. And then word got back to Jacob and his sons, and they weren't happy over this thing. And the men of the city went to Jacob and said, Hey, We'll let you have our daughters, and if you'll let us have your daughters, and we can trade in the land and get along, and, and everything will be just hunky-dory. 
Well, the sons of Jacob, they were so mad over them raping their sister. They concocted this scheme and said, hey, wait, no, we can't do this thing. God has given us the right of circumcision, and we're not allowed to marry anybody unless the men are circumcised. So all the men of the city come to an agreement to be circumcised. And three days after all the men of the city were circumcised, the Bible says that two sons of Jacob went in and killed every one of the men in the city. And then the rest of the sons of Jacob went in and took of the spoil, took the wives and the children as slaves. And it was just a horrible thing that Jacob's sons done. And Jacob was not too happy over this situation. The rest of the people in the area saw what all was done. And uh, they weren't happy about the situation. And so you can see it puts Jacob in a bad situation. And my point is this. Whenever we get out of the will of God, it never works out right. Only when we get in the will of God. God said, I'm the God of Bethel. And that's where Jacob should have went. But he settled in Succoth and had a big mess there. So it's important for us to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. He'll always lead us in God's way and always lead us in God's will. All right, Romans 8 verse 29. For whom he did foreknow. This has to do with the omniscience of God. God knows everything. Past, present, future. He's not restricted by time like you and I are. As a matter of fact, a third of the Bible is prophecy, which is actually God's foreknowledge of things which are to come. For whom he did foreknow, that pertains to the fact that God knew us even before we were born. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Now here's where we have the doctrine of predestination. Now some teach predestination as God predestining some to go to heaven and others he predestines to go to hell. How many of you have heard that? That's what some people believe and teach. But this violates man's free will of choice. And let me share several scriptures with you. John 3.16. We all know that by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved, to come unto the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. So God does not predestine anyone to go to hell. Understand that. 
If he did, it would violate man's free will of choice, and all these scriptures I've just read to you mean nothing. And we'd have a contradiction in the scriptures. So how should we look at the doctrine of predestination? Predestination has to be looked at in view of God's plan and not at an individual. It was God's plan of salvation that was predestined. Dana, if you will, go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. 1 Peter 1 verse 20, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means that when God created this world and created man, he knew that man would fall. He knew that man would need a redeemer. And it was decided in the councils of the Godhead before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would come into the world and die on an old rugged cross, slain from the foundation of the world, foreordained before the foundation of the world, that Jesus Christ would die on a cross to save and redeem mankind. All right, go back, if you will, to Romans 8, verse 29 again. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Notice that portion of it. To be conformed to the image of his Son. This is the only thing that is predestined in the Word of God. For you and I to be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This refers to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith in his finished work guarantees that one day we'll be resurrected or raptured, depending on when it takes place and whether you're alive at the time or not. In which case, the Bible says, when we shall see him at that time, we shall be like him. Take a look at verse 30, Romans 8, verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Again, predestination doesn't refer to God determining some to go to heaven and others to go to hell. That's not what predestination is about. It's God's plan of salvation that was predestined. Those who have accepted Christ of their own free will, He has predestined them to be conformed into the image of His Son. He talked about the calling. Them He also called. This refers to everybody coming to repentance. God has called us all to come to repentance. When God deals with your heart at salvation, God is giving you permission to repent. He's giving you an opportunity to repent and get right with Him. Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 14, For many are called... But few are chosen. The whole world has been called to repentance, 
to accept Jesus Christ, but few have chosen to accept this free gift of salvation which the Lord has given unto us. But for those who do accept that call, he has justified, as he mentioned there in that verse, whom he has called them, he also justified. Justification, justified never sinned, not guilty, which means that God has forgiven us of all of our sins. He's forgotten about it, never to be remembered against us ever again. Justified, justified, never sinned. Them who he justified, he also glorified, meaning that in the mind of God, although it is still yet some time in the future, when the rapture, resurrection rapture takes place, that moment when we'll be glorified, although it is still yet in the future, in the mind of God, it's a done deal. Because right now, by faith, we have been justified. We've accepted Christ as our Savior. Our name's written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. And uh, being justified by God guarantees that we'll one day be glorified when the trump of God sounds. All right, verse 31, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? In other words, taking all of this into consideration. If God be for us, who can be against us? Hmm. Think about that. If God be for us, who can be against us? The Greek word here for if is I-E. And it means a fulfilled condition. So it should have been translated since God is for us, who can be against us? All right. Verse 32. He that spared not his own Son, speaks of God the Father giving us heaven's best, delivered him up for us all. This phrase right here shoots down the doctrine of predestination, where God predestined some to go to heaven and others to go to hell. He gave up his only Son for us all. God the Father delivered His Son up for us all to be saved. Delivered Him up to what? Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, dwelling in a light that no man could approach unto. Our minds can't even begin to comprehend the Lord of glory. He was offered up to become a man. It's like, me giving up my ability to, to stand here before you tonight and teach and drive and do all the things that I do and become a dog. To be able to lower myself to such a level. And once I do that, I'm never able to become human being again. Jesus Christ, on such a high level lowered himself to become a man, a mere mortal, took upon himself the likeness of sinful flesh, the Bible says, a form that he will have to bear right on into eternity. He'll never be the same as he once was. He left the streets of pure gold 
to walk on dust for you and I. God gave him up to that. For 33 and a half years, he lived the life of a peasant. And during his three and a half years of public ministry, he was reviled, scorned, rejected, mocked, and crucified. He willingly took upon himself the sin penalty of all mankind. He could have called the angels to deliver him from the cross, but he didn't do it. Instead, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And now, even though the Lord is in a glorified body and his work is finished, that body that he has now is a far cry from what it was in eternity past. And he'll have that glorified human body now for all eternity. God gave him up to that. In the latter half of verse 32 here in Romans chapter 8, How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God the Father gave the crown jewel of heaven... For you and I, he's already given us heaven's best for our salvation. How much more, the scripture says, will he also freely give us all things? I want you to look at that. Let that get down in your spirit. In other words, God is not going to let you go lacking for anything. God's not going to let the devil just beat you up and throw you in a ditch somewhere. God is going to freely give us all things. And it's all through and by faith in what God has already given us. He's given us His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And our faith in that finished work opens up the door for us to receive all things. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, But my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. All things. What do you have need of? The Bible says we have not because we ask not. Or we ask amiss. If it's God's will, and God's told you you can have it, by faith you can claim it when you pray. If God's told you that you can have it, you can claim it. See, some of you in here have got some lost loved ones. It's God's will for them to be saved. You understand what I'm saying? You ain't got to pray, Lord, if it be your will, save so-and-so. It's God's will to save. It's God's will for us to preach the gospel and to carry his word forth to others. So there's nothing wrong with us asking the Lord to open up doors of opportunity and providing the finances to do what he's called us to do according to his word. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open unto us. The Lord has already given us heaven's best 
the Lord Jesus Christ, and He'll freely give us all things if we'll just ask Him and believe Him for it. That don't mean you can go home tonight now and ask the Lord for a million dollars so you can heap it up on your own lust. Okay, I know some of your brains is just a turning there. <laughs> now, 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 if you're asking for that million dollars so that we can preach the gospel and, and, and spread His word, now, yeah, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, we got a whole sector of Christianity today. People's asking for boats and cars they don't need and houses they don't need and all kinds of stuff that they don't need. They're just asking for these things. They ask amiss. And they're asking for these things for their own lust. But if you ask according to the will of God, then you can have it. The program today has been a blessing to you. We hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.